So before we ask the first question, if you would each introduce your spouse so that we know at least their name. This is Sweetie Pie. <laughs> Her other name is Alpha. Alpha. All right. And this is uh, Yvette. And this is Alexandra. All right. So we'll start off with a few warm-up questions. Then we'll get into other questions. Okay, first question. It was, there, I think there was about five to ten of these, and it was this. How old... Okay, that's all you need to know. How old do you have to be in order to date slash court? Warm-up question. I think the principle um, we talked about today was the, you remember, God brought Adam first, have a relationship with God, and the second thing in Genesis 2.15 was to uh, give him occupation and that order so that he could provide for his family, and then God brought um, Eve to him. So um, just that order of God in creation uh, really works. So having... Uh, a career, it doesn't have to be a you know, degree, but any kind of trade or whatever it is that actually makes money. People with degrees today are not making money, so not all of them. So whatever works to actually support your family and provide for your family, then I think that is a good age. You know? And everyone's different, and you have to treat every situation different. So that's a, not a specific age, but are you ready to support a family? That's a bigger question, I think. So you don't want, oh yeah, this one. And you don't want, you know, I was sharing before, you don't want someone who says they love you, want to take care of you the rest of their life, right? But they're eating mom's and dad's food, they're living with mom and dad, they're riding the bicycle to visit you, right? <laughs> I mean, you know, that's not the kind of guy you want to marry, okay? You want to make sure you're at least old enough that you can uh, be supported. And Brother Lemon has some... Spirit of prophecy. Um, while we do not have an exact age given from inspiration as far as when to court, there is a very clear indicator coming from Adventist Home, page 79, paragraph 4. It says, A youth not out of his teens is a poor judge of the fitness of a person as young as himself to be his companion for life. So that would also include 18 and 19. So how about 20? <laughs> so we, we at least have a pretty clear indicator. Amen? Amen. Amen. Praise God for that. Beautiful. All right. Thank you. One more warm-up question. You mentioned that, I'm assuming this is Kiala. You mentioned that men should be the initiators. In this scenario that you would like to get to know them more as friends, is it okay for the girl to initiate conversation by texting or calling? 
You know, I really believe, I was having this conversation today, I think sometimes you can go uh, too far, and you know what the problem is? Men are not initiating, right? It's like the women are waiting for their men to initiate, and um, you know, men, you need to actually let God lead, and actually just, if God is leading you and you want to, don't be afraid and ask the girl an intentional dating or courting, right? But ask him for, um, to go out. And I think um, a lot of women actually, it seems like they're just waiting. But it's good to be a woman in waiting, right? And wait on the Lord because he'll bring the right person. But um, at the same time, I think there's also a balance where you can go so far. I think this might be a misunderstanding, but it can go too far. But you're talking about texting um, as a way to ask out someone on a date or texting as a friendship or... Uh, uh, it says initiate the conversation because oh. they want to get to know them more as friends. Ooh. Anyone else want to help me out here? Uh, <laughs> it's so I, detailed. I, I, you I, know? Would, I would say um, it's an absolute no-no. Uh, the reason for that, again, is if the man does not hunt, he does not treasure. Can I say it one more time? <laughs> If the man does not hunt, he does not treasure. Whatever is easily given to him, he does not respect. So it's just a clear, my wife, my dad um, hooked me and my wife up. And uh, we were at, she was at church, and um, I'm not going to say she was praying for a man, but she lifted up a prayer that day that the Lord would provide her a good man. Is that right? Is that right? Oh, okay, a godly man, yes. <laughs> and um, when she finished praying and went back and sat down, my father tapped her on the shoulder. And uh, she turned around and she said, well, he's too old, you know? <laughs> but anyway, my dad pursued and got her phone number and he, he got her email address and told her exactly how tall I was to make sure she, you know, she measured up. And um, maybe within, you know, maybe with a, a week or so, um, the same day my dad called me and told me, I think I found her. And, I, and uh, if you want to hear the testimony, you hear another time. But nonetheless, my father told me to call her and I wouldn't call her. And my dad called her and said, why don't you call my son? And sweetie pie, why don't you tell them what you told my daddy? Because when he took when he took the the phone number and the email address, um, and he said, "Will you call my son?" And I said, "Okay." I said, "I will." Um, but it's not right for a female to call a male. That's just not the order. That um, it's not supposed to go that way. And so when he called and he asked me, did you call my son yet? I said, no, sir. I said, I didn't. Um, I like to be a person of my word. But in modesty, I shouldn't be calling him. He should be calling me. Yeah. And immediately, he said, I knew I picked the right one. <laughs> and then he called. <laughs> so I called the next day. Um, my dad told her that I was going to call at 9. But you know, you got to be cool. So I called at <laughs> <laughs> You know, I call at, call at 9.05, you know what I mean? Um, uh, I, I just have something about the texting. 
uh, it's good. We use it. It's just that you can read between. I mean, there's so much things you can read between the lines with it. So I think texting in that, you know, tense, it might, um, you know, you, you cannot hear the person speaking. You cannot see their face. Um, it's important, I think, uh, not to use the text, especially. Yes, yeah. All right. Thank you. Done with warm-up questions. I'm a teenager, and I'm constantly feeling like I'm worthless and inadequate. How can I learn to love myself when right now I don't like who I am inside and out? I'm a teenager, and I'm constantly feeling like I'm worthless and inadequate. How can I learn to love myself when right now I don't like who I am inside and out? Um, I felt the same way. Uh, I remember, and no disrespect to any race, um, but I remember getting this picture. And on this picture was a picture of a white young man with blonde hair. And on top of the picture said, I know I'm somebody because God doesn't make junk. Now the words make sense, but the picture was something that didn't look like me. And I remember going to school and I remember the teacher treating me different than all the other children in the classroom and treating me as if I was some type of stupid child. I remember it was as early second grade. And I remember going to my father and I told my dad, I, I told him clear, dad, I don't like being black. I told him I didn't like it. I didn't like it. And then even going further still, you know, um, I had a bad time of halitosis. Anybody know what halitosis is? So bad breath, people, you know, start treating you different. Bad breath. Um, I just had a lot of emotional problems, a lot of problems. I would sit in the dark and write music, poems to R&B, music, talking about my girlfriend died and all that craziness. Um, I would do a lot of that stuff. I, I was very depressed, personally. Uh, the only thing that I found that actually changed the perception of who I was is when I found the man Jesus. Uh, I, I can't, you know, I, I wish I could make up some fancy way to, you know, make it plain. But your worth is based upon what he decided to pay for you. His, your worth is what he decided to pay for you. And one last experience. I had already been in present truth. I had already started preaching. And I remember getting an argument. I was telling a young lady this last night. I was gotten an argument with my little sister, and uh, she was disrespecting my mother. So I grabbed her up, and I threw her in the closet. And when I threw her in the closet, I felt completely like a loser. I, I, I felt like God was requiring too much of me to be a Christian. And... Uh, I remember going to the basement, and I remember raising my fist to God, and I remember cursing at God. And mind you, I told you, I, I'm already aware of present truth. And I remember raising my fist to God and cursing at God, and I remember in that same moment, the still small voice said to me, go talk to your father. And I said, I don't want to talk to my father. I just want to go to handle some business. You know, beat my sister up some more, talk to him disrespectful to my mother. 
But I went up, and I went upstairs, and I was going to turn right to go to one room to keep talking to my sister, but I went left. And when I went left, I started sitting in a chair, and I wanted to have an intelligent conversation with my dad. And I sat there, and I just wanted to tell him that I'm tired of being, trying to be a Christian. I'm tired of this. I'm sick of this. I'm sick of trying. I'm sick of life. And that's all I wanted to say. I wanted to say it in a reasonable manner. But you know what came out? I hate God. My dad turned around his chair, and he just put his arms around me. Did you hear what I said? He didn't say, Andre, you're not supposed to talk like that. He didn't say, Andre, you're being crazy. You're in depressed mode. What's wrong with you? He didn't do none of that. My dad just put his arms around me. It's from that point going forward that my life has been ever different. Your worth is based on what someone else has seen in you, and he has paid his life for you. Thank you. Next question. What should parents do when their child who is in high school gets pregnant? Should the parents prevent the child from getting married so that she can continue her education? What should parents do when their child who is in high school gets pregnant? Should the parents prevent the child from getting married so that she can continue her education? Obviously, based on what we just read earlier, uh, if you're in high school, Chances are you're still in your teens. And, you know, with all jokes aside, the reason counsel tells us that one in their, in their teens is not prepared for these things because there's a, there's a lot of maturity that still needs to take place in an individual's life. Um, therefore, the clear answer would be no. We, we should not encourage them to get married as a result of the fact that they're pregnant. In fact, that's probably one of the worst things that we could do is to try to force or compel marriage simply because a baby is involved. That we could invite more hell in an individual's life as a result of a decision like that. The Bible says in Galatians 6 and uh, verse 1, and it does give us counsel, and you know we, we can look at it on several levels, but I believe that the counsel is very sound, and this can apply even to a parent when, when this may happen to their child. The Bible says, brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual... Restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Restore such a one. This is a moment and this is an opportunity to restore that individual to clearly what has been broken. So that while there's going to be obviously much counsel that's going to need to be done with this individual based on the decision they made and the very apparent results, the key is that whatever disciplinary action that takes place, it should be restorative. It should be redemptive. It should not just simply be a casting off or a cutting off and things of that nature. Again, though there will be disciplinary actions, it should be restorative or redemptive. And that's a very important principle that God presents to us, even to parents, when going through such a disappointing experience like this. Can I just add to the principle even more practically? There are some parents who are conservative who feel embarrassed that their child is having a child. And I've seen parents 
encourage their children to have abortions yep. to protect their conservative image. Yeah. That is a sin. That's right. Embrace that new child. Embrace your child that has suffered in this guilty process and let God redeem both parties. Amen. Yeah. Next question. When do you transition from friendship to more than just friendship? How do you get her interested in you? Break it down, exclamation point. <laughs> Was that your handwriting? <laughs> When do you transition from friendship to more than just friendship? How do you get her interested in you? Break it down, exclamation point. Friendship, friendship to what? Friendship to more than just friendship. Oh, I'm assuming a romantic friendship. relationship. Oh, okay. I want to hear the women. What about you, huh? Hey, man. <laughs> I think we talk too much. What do you say, women? Don't you want to hear women's perspective out there, women? Right? What do you say, man? What's the guy that initiates that station? Yeah. Yeah. Kiala. Okay. When do you transition from friendship <laughs> to more than just friendship? Okay. How do you get her interested in you? Break it down, exclamation point. <laughs> okay. Um, how, do you, how do you transition? How do you transition? Okay. Uh, I think we need to be honest and open in a relationship. I really believe that. Um, so, um, Doug, if you want to, <laughs> if you want to go from a friendship to a more than a friendship kind of relationship, then what you need to do, <laughs> step by step. <laughs> I think you need to be serious with the woman. And I think you need to lay it down from the beginning and say, um, I think a lot of hurt happens in, in um, courting or intentional dating is the fact that one party doesn't know what the other person is thinking. Yeah? And that needs to be laid out clearly and from the beginning. And some people, I know it's mentioned earlier today that you know, they may scare people away, but maybe it's good to scare them away because that's the person you don't want to marry anyway. Right? <laughs> You want to marry somebody who is actually is bold enough to be upfront with you and honest and say to you, hey, look, um, how are you? How is this relationship? Is it, um, where are you? Are we going to be um, moving toward marriage or are you just kind of dating me to have fun, right? And I think you have to lay it out and say, are we just friends or we want something more? And just be upfront from the beginning. Now, how to win, how them get somebody to like you? I think Andre oh. has a comment before we move on okay. to that part. Yeah. I'm just going to piggyback on that. Um, I'll just tell you what I did. Is that all right? Yeah. This is what happened. So we were talking over the phone a couple of hours, you know. She's grown-up conversations, you know. No childish stuff. She was talking about vegan meals and what's happening in the church and Bible doctrines and events. I was like, man, I got I to you know, meet this woman. So we talked six times over the phone. And I said, you know what? I like her over the phone, but I got to get to know her. I, I got to see her. You know, I, you can't just 
talk to somebody and like them, I, I got to be kind of attracted, you know? So I traveled across the country from Baltimore to Chicago. I'm talking about, I'm talking about hunting, you understand? <laughs> and um, I traveled across the country and had a little gift. I, I will pass that part of the story. And um, I met her that Sabbath, kind of awkward. I'll pass that part of the story. The next day, I had a good time. We, went, we spent some time together. And I said, you know what? I like her. And I'm not going to play with her emotions or her feelings. So the next day, I went back to her house. So I was supposed to leave already. I was supposed to be gone. I'm, I went to her house, and I knocked on the door. I said, uh, Alpha, can I talk to you? And she went, and she had, a long t she had her own spot. She had her own money. She was making money on her own. All right? I went, and uh, she sat at one end of the table, and I sat at the other end of the table, and I sat down, and I said, uh, Alpha, look. I said, I have a lot of um, friends that are girls, but I'm not interested in friends that are girls. I said, I'm looking and interested in someone who's going to be my wife. And I said, I want to enter into a courtship with you to see whether or not God would approve of us being married. That's how the conversation started. <laughs> so, sweetie, tell, tell them how you felt after I just came, you know, like that. <laughs> he was serious. And he was about the business, which is what I like. Someone that's straightforward and about the business. And he came with, a, he had plans. It wasn't uh, like past relationships when you just date somebody and you're there and then years go by. He, he didn't come with that type of um, mindset. He came with the mindset of um, a way that God would approve. Does that answer the question? <laughs> when I find out, I'll let you know. All right, so going, going along these lines, we had another question. Is a long-distance relationship okay if dating is used to find your soulmate? It's a youth conference. We have dating questions. Is a long-distance relationship okay if dating is used to find your soulmate? Question mark. I have no Bible for long-distance relationships, but um, I think if you're getting to know a person, courtship, um, long-distance over the phone doesn't let you see how a person reacts with certain situations. You can't see their face when you say no about something. Um, meet long distance, you're not with them, with their family to see how they treat their family members, how they interact with their family members. So um, long distance relationship, I, 
Um, in my opinion, I say no. So I I don't no Baltimore to Chicago. So what happened with that was... <laughs> I saw that, you know, I enjoyed her company when I went to see her. And uh, we had started a ministry. So I actually heard her say she wanted to learn how to canvas and how to do Bible work. And that's what I do. So I invited her out to learn how to do the work where I was. And she, because she wanted to do ministry, maybe she would like me a little bit, but because she liked, wanted to do ministry, the Lord provided that everything that she needed was sold, and she came out to learn to do the work. And I got to see her under the microscope of the pressure of ministry in the type of work that she would be involved in for the rest of her life. I prayed and asked God for a woman that is willing to sleep on the floor. That's the type of woman I prayed for because I knew that I was going to go to places where they probably wouldn't have beds. I needed someone who understood the pain that a canvassing bag brings. Um, canvassing bag brings a pain right about here. <laughs> and because of that, I needed someone who could pinpoint that source and help me. <laughs> so by God's grace... You know, she came close. I got to see her interact. She got to see me under pressure. And so that long distance thing was not an issue, and we locked it down in 11 months. Amen. Thank you. So the crowd at SWIC is pretty diverse. Ellen White urges great caution in marrying someone at a different, uh, of a different ethnic and cultural background. What is the principle, why, and how is it relevant today? It's the same question we got in America's Idols. Huh? <laughs> yes. Um, I, you know, you have to look at the culture and, she was, and the times. You have to look at the times when she writes it and what's going on. Like, the, the word gay 50 years ago, I mean, somebody say, I'm gay, right? They could get away with it like six, 60 years ago. But if you were to say, I'm gay today, I mean, it would be a total different meaning. And so you have to look at the context and the culture of what's going on. In the days of Ellen White, when she wrote this, you know, if you were walking down the street with, and you're a white person walking down the street with a black man in, in southern um, Georgia or Tennessee, um, not only would it be bad, but actually you would actually be killed and your whole family would be hung and, and killed, right? And so you look at the safety issue, that's one of them. And there's another issue that came up, huh? Do you remember, Dwayne? And uh, there's another principle, but um, that's the principle that you have to look at is of the culture of the times that it was written in. And, so, um, and also, you have to look at the diversity of cultures. Now we're a blended culture made of different, different ethnicities, and we're more blended. Everyone's more like a Western culture. And um, if you look at, there's renaissances going on in different cultures. There's the Hawaiian Renaissance, the American Indian Renaissance, different culture renaissances. And the only reason there's a renaissance is because the cultures have lost their culture, Right? And they want to rediscover it. That's what the cultural renaissances are. So that shows that we are no longer sticking to our ethnic culture, African-American and um, even Hawaiians. We're more blended and we get along and we have to deal with the different cultural issues in our relationships. As it was 100 years ago where there was no renaissances and actually the cultural differences were so different 100 years ago. And so that's why marriages would actually not go well. So for those two reasons, safety and a big differences in cultural differences will make it more of a hardship for actually even marriages, not only to make it, but actually probably even to even survive. 
to even live, actually. I mean, that's the two principles I remember. Thank you. Next question. I desperately want to lead my daughter to God. As a single parent, how can I fulfill the roles of both mother and father spiritually? How can I, if God sees fit, incorporate a man relationship into my little family? I desperately want to lead my daughter to God. As a single parent, how can I fulfill the roles of both mother and father spiritually? Well, if you remember, when we were studying um, about the home of the remnant and dealing with lessons from the sanctuary as it relates to the household, you remember that one of the counsels we read from Adventist Home was that the father is the one whom God had appointed to be the one to lead the family into the morning and evening worship and so on. But do you remember what the bottom of that quote said? It said that the father is to do it when he is present, but then it says, but the mother is to do it when he is absent. So you find that um, if the father's not there because of death or any of those other things, or because it was just a bad relationship and he moved on, then that mother is to trust that she must fulfill that role as much as possible until God either brings another father, which of course would be a, a husband in her life, or at least a father figure of someone who can uh, carry forward more sterner virtues and so on that have been designated to the male figure. So that's, that's the practical application of it. It's not that we throw our hands in the air and say, oh, well, I can't rear this child anymore because there's no man in my life. But what you do is you say, Father, I need your grace to, to be with me as I seek to be what I can be to my child until you come. You know, I'll be honest with you. Even, even as a 40-year-old man, I still sense the need for my father and my mother uh, at different times, my communion that I had with them. Sometimes my dad, especially in his closing years, he gave tremendous counsel and help to me. Um, and I remember when my mother died in 07 and then my father died last year, I said, man, this is strange. This is the first time I'm existing on earth without parents. And it, it felt very different for me because I always had that urge to call mom or to call dad, and now I can't do it anymore. And I remember being in prayer with that desire in my heart, and I remember the Lord just impressing upon my mind, I'll be your father. You know, I will be that parental guide to you that you may feel you need at different times in your life for different reasons. So, you know, I would encourage that mother to not underestimate the very presence of God to be that aid to you yes. while you are working with your daughter. He'll be that father figure as, as, as directly as he can and meet that child in those circumstances. And while that husband is absent, do what you can to bridge those gaps in leading that child to the ways of the Lord. And pray that God will send at least a father figure in that individual's life where it is appropriate and see how the Lord leads from that point forward. That would be the best counsel that I can. Just to add, um, continue on with that thought, very good thought, and just about the finding a man. You know, the Bible says to entreat um, the elders as fathers, right? It's talking about the church, right? And the older women as mothers, and the younger men as brothers, and the younger sisters as sisters. So the, it takes a village to raise a child, especially in this generation. And so the, the church is supposed to be that, that family for, supposed to be now, 
that family that doesn't have a father, that doesn't have a mother. That was a church family in heaven and on this earth. But unfortunately, it's not happening. But that's why we need to restore that and have them be able to be the spiritual mentors of your, your son where there is no father. Be the father figure of what a true elder should be like. So, I mean, that's what the church should have been, um, should have came into play, but it's not happening. And so we need to change that. What do you say, Hi, man? Amen. Related question. If the father is reluctant to his role, what can I do as a child to encourage my father to take his role in my home? I'm going to tread softly on this one. When I started thinking about parenting, like me being a daddy to Naija. Hi, Naija, how you doing? Good. When I started thinking about being a, a daddy, I knew that I would be inadequate as a father myself. I don't know if you ever had that feeling, any fathers in the house. Um, and the reason why I knew it is because my father, um, bless his soul, and he's a godly man even today, but he will tell you that he was not a perfect father to me. And he will tell you that me being who I am, Andre Waller, as I am today, being faithful in what God has called me to do has encouraged him to increase in his own spiritual walk. He said it himself to me. He said to me on the phone, he said, Andre, I no longer see you as my son. I see you as a brother. It's me as a Christian young man taking up principles that I saw my family not living up to and living those principles and gaining the respect of my father. So that's how I would say from my experience to deal with it. And so soul winning begins in the home. And uh, when I first joined the church, my mother and my father thought I lost my mind. And they probably had good reason for it, because I can't say that I represented what Seventh-day Adventism was about the best. I was pretty radical. Um, my nephew came home with a cross on his forehead from Ash Wednesday. And, you know, I remember, <laughs> I can see it so clear in my mind. I looked at him, I said, do you know what that is? And, you know, and I mean, I just started hammering in on him and just zooming in on him. And I started going on down to papacy and this, that, and the other. And I've never talked to him about Jesus. <laughs> you know, I was more busy talking about the papacy and the beast and all these things. So my parents said, all right, Dwayne's found another interesting endeavor. And, um, but as I began to grow and really understand what this message was all about, it was a blessing, especially to my mother. My mother's from the Virgin Islands, and she is uh, one who always had a mentor in the Virgin Islands from the Methodist Church who was like her spiritual guide, as she called it. And I remember that she watched, and what, what did it for my mother was she saw my wife. My parents told me when they met my wife, they said, good pick. You know, they, I mean, they really, they said, good pick. <laughs> and... Um, my mother loved my wife, and, you know, she said a lot of things about her, and um, when she saw my wife and then saw our children and the kind of home we were striving by the grace of God to develop, she started saying, man, this is the first time I've seen Dwayne take something seriously, and, you know, and through that, 
my mother said something to me that, that I remember brought tears to my eyes. She said, you remember that man that I told you about who was my mental, my, my spiritual mentor? And I said, yes, mom, I remember. She says, now you are. And, you know, she, when she shared that with me, you got to understand, what, what did my mother say that I was in my younger days? Do you remember? A demon. Say it again. Demon. My mother told my wife, she says, when Dwayne was a little boy, he was a demon. And, and that's what she said. And um, it was true. It was very true. I was, really, I was a pretty bad child. However, because of the change, it was beautiful that in the end of her days, God gave me the privilege to no longer be a demon, but to be an angel. Amen. And it was a sweet thing that I prayed that prayer, Father, keep mom and dad alive long enough that they will accept this third angel's message. And God honored that prayer on behalf of both of them. So I would say to that young friend that, you know, remember the Bible says, you are a living epistle known and read of all men. Um, let them see the Bible lived out in your life and you will be amazed at how much that preaches to them to help them see, you know what? I need to be taking more responsibility and coming close to the Lord because I'm watching my son do this or my daughter do that. Mm -hmm. So that'd be my encouragement to you to, to let your life be that shining light. You get up and have morning and evening worship, even though they, the father may not go ahead and do that. And by God's grace, angels will impress upon his mind. You need to be doing this with your son and you'll see how the Lord will lead. Um, just want to couple that with um, same experience with my mom. Um, she's a devoted Catholic, and you know you can't say anything about the Pope in her presence. She will shut you down um, immediately. However, um, when we first embraced this truth, and we began to keep the Sabbath and the diet change, and you know she was making. She was just saying a lot of things like, oh, you're going to starve my grandchildren. What are you doing to them? You're not sending them to school. Two meals a day. Um, just a lot of various things. Um, <laughs> it was a lot. It was, it was a trial. Um, but I knew when I tried to speak to her and tell her about Christ, she remembered. She just kind of thought, okay, you're just go along with Dwayne, I know he's, you know, with you and you're just following or whatever. Um, however, years later, when she sees the children and she sees, wow, they're respectful. Wow, they're sitting for worship. Um, wow, they, they're content eating this way and they don't look scrawny. You know, they look really healthy and robust and she saw the fruit. Now, she still goes to church on Sunday. However, when she visits us, um, she always brings her dress because she knows when I'm with my daughter and my son-in-law, I have to go to church on Sabbath. I don't have to beg her. I don't have to plead. It's like, Mom, what time am I picking you up? You know? Um, one time she came and she didn't have a skirt. She was like, oh, I don't have a skirt. I don't have anything to wear. She ran to a, um, a Goodwill. She went through just to get a dress, just to make sure that she was, because she heard that he was speaking and she wanted to come and support. And um, just the fact that she's just even willing to come this far simply because the fruit of the children. And I'm like, okay. And finally now, 
The new thing is she's open to relocating in the country. I have not spoken to her about the Sunday law. I have not spoken to her about um, all these various truths and the final crisis that's coming to this earth. But I told, but she sees mom, you know, don't you think it's time for you to come and rest and, you know, come aside and rest a while? How do you feel when you're here? Um, we have Bible study, worship. I mean, we have family worship with her. She used to sit back and just not say anything. Now she's constantly commenting and um, she's with it. I'm like, okay, so now she's open to relocating. So I'm just praying that even as we relocate, oh yeah, my mommy might come. Okay. okay. <laughs> I'm praying that she might come, that the Lord will just open doors. <laughs> Amen. Amen. <laughs> Next question is on relocation. My parents are interested in country living, but are concerned about my education and the education of my siblings. I'm in college and my siblings are in grade school. What do we do? When you're, the, the first thing you want to do is, um, okay, you got a pretty big gap there between grade school and college, right? Um, you'll remember that we are told that there's something called true education that we all should receive. So one of the first things you really want to do is make sure you have a good, firm understanding of what constitutes this idea called true education. Um, when you understand that, that actually can help guide this decision that you're going to make. So that would be my first thing, is, is understand what true education is so that we, it can give you a broader concept of what steps you need to take. But keep in mind that, you know, when you relocate, if you're, as an example, if you're in a university or, or what have you, a community college, I'm not sure where you are, you said college, there's colleges that are not terribly far from country locations as well. So I, I would probably need to understand in a little more detail what's the overall concern so that I could just get a clearer picture of it, at least for me to answer it intelligently. Because you can still go to school, you can still get an education, you can do all those things, even if you're in the country. So that, that doesn't change much. Do you have any recommendations for books on true education? Uh, recommendations of books on the true education? Yeah, there's a book called The Bible. And Excellent. You definitely would want to start with that. Um, the principle of true education you'll find in John 17, verse 3, this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. Amen. You know, that is the foundation of all true education, is that you and I may gain a knowledge of God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. And there's wonderful ways you can do that, even as you pursue understanding math and science and history and all these beautiful things. It's really wonderful. So I would recommend, obviously, of course, your Bible. Uh, and then there are some really excellent books as well. I'd like Pastor Kiela to share. He, he shared a book with me uh, that was very helpful as well, and maybe you'd want to share with them also some books that you would think would be very helpful. There's um, the book Education by Ellen White. <laughs> and, um, you know, Fundamentals of Christian Education and Councils on Education, Councils of Parents and Teachers and Students. That's all from the Spirit of Prophecy. And then there's a book that really inspired me. About 15 years ago, I was at Weimar. And when I was at Weimar, there was a revival sweeping the campus. And the revival was true education of following the blueprint. 
And from what I understand from teachers who were there, um, like Ian Jones, they're all over there at that time. And he told me that there was a revival sweeping with the staff also, and they were studying the blueprint of education, and they were studying about how Madison College was the only school that followed the blueprint, if you know the history of our, uh, of our church. And so they, um, E.A. Sutherland wrote a book, and it's called Studies in Christian Education. If you get that book, I mean, it was life-transforming for me. It really changed my life for you too. So it really, and that really inspired me. And also he wrote another book called um, Living Fountains of Broken Cisterns. But if you can get um, studies in Christian education, I really feel that Jesus cannot come back again until true education is reestablished in this world. That's the burden in my heart. Um, Madison has always been my dream to do. Um, I know it's not God's timing for me to do it. So I know that Brother Lemon and Brother Andre, let's keep them in our prayers. What do you say? Hi, man. They seek out to follow God's divine blueprint. So, Thank you. Quick time check. We have three questions left in about 10 minutes. Okay. This goes along with the previous question. How do we balance planning for the future and the soon return of Jesus, i.e. careers, school, marriage, children? How do we balance planning for the future and the soon return of Jesus, i.e. careers, school, marriage, children? I, I don't even know how to really answer that question. I remember being at Oakwood and um, believing Jesus was going to come and my professor saying, well, you need to occupy till he comes. I remember going home telling the elder at the church Jesus is about to come, and the elder told me that I'll have grandchildren. Um, I have a problem with that. I don't know. Do you have a problem with that? So tell me. You tell me. I think you already have the answer. How did Noah prepare for the flood? What did he do? How did he occupy his time? So everything that Noah did, every action, whether it be job, whether it be, in fact, do you know that Noah, the Bible says that Noah preached for 120 years. Is that right? But the Bible also says that Shamham and Japheth were a 100 years old when they got on the boat. On the boat. Did you hear what I just said? So Noah preached for 20 years before he had children. You guys know that? So even though he had children, when he had those children, when they came out, what did you think they helped him do? So everything, I don't care if it's the job, I don't care if it's you having children, whatever it is, is with that one focus, that one goal, that you want to usher in the second coming of Jesus. It is a false idea to say the second coming is some far distant thing and everybody's going to have children and everything's going to keep going as it does. It sounds to me like 2 Peter chapter 3 where it says that there will be scoffers in the last days. Every action, every activity is for the building and preparation for the coming of our Lord. There must be a generation that believes that they will see Jesus. I love this quotation here. It's in um, Child Guidance, page 483. It says, We know not in what line our children may be called to serve. They may spend their lives within the circle of the home. So understand that there are some children that may spend their lives in the circle of the home. 
It says they may engage in life's common vocations. That can be anything from a nurse to a lawyer, whatever. It says, or go as teachers of the gospel to heathen lands. It says, but all are alike called to be missionaries for God, ministers of mercy to the world. They are to obtain an education that will help them to stand by the side of Christ in unselfish service. Amen. Thank you. Next question. If I separate from an abusive husband and he does not want to change, is it my fault when he commits adultery a year and a half later? We have two children and I felt it was imperative to protect them as well as myself from him. No, it's not your fault. At all. He made a choice. He made a choice to go and commit adultery after. Um, everybody makes their own choice. Can I, I just say something real quick on this same point? I told my wife when I married her, sweetie, if I ever committed adultery, it would never be because of anything that you did. It will be because of selfish behavior. She can lie, she can cheat, she can steal. She can smack me in my face today. It will never give me an excuse to leave her and go do anything else. So there's no excuse. So no, it's not your fault. Next question. If parents are staying in their child's house and that child has a spouse, what is your counsel so as to avoid a violation of that sacred circle of trust in the marriage. What is the question from the one that is in the, the children or is this from the mom? So there's, there's grandparents living in the child's house. If parents, or we could say grandparents, are staying in their child's house, the child is married, what is your counsel so as to avoid, avoid violation of that sacred circle of trust in the marriage? A multi-generational home. Every home uh, has standards that the occupants of that home must obviously abide by. So therefore, um, if the parents, you know, let, let, let's use the scenario Mom and dad's house foreclosed, and they're saying we need a place to stay, and obviously you have room in your home, but you're letting mom and dad stay there. Well, certainly that would be right. You remember Jesus, he was on the cross, and he looked down and he looked at his mother, and he said, and he looked at John, and he said, Mother, behold your son, son, behold your mother. So Jesus showed a care for his mother's welfare, even though he knew he was going to depart. So that's simply to just make a point that it is still our responsibility to do what we can to first and foremost honor father and mother and then to be a help to them in whatever way we can. Now, obviously, if mom and dad needs help because they have no place to stay. Now, if they have no place to stay, then obviously, if mom and dad come home to stay with you, then there would obviously need to be a discussion to say, well, mom and dad, you know, obviously we're going to do our best to make you comfortable here and so on. But, you know, you know that we have certain things that governs our home and these things cannot be violated. So you are absolutely welcome to be here, but there's still going to be a sacred circle in our home. So if one day you're talking with your wife and 
maybe you're not having a, a total agreement on something, and then mother says, I have an idea, and she wants to go ahead and inject a lot of things that could probably intense the heat. You know, those may be things that have to be put in check, but nevertheless, there's no reason that the sacred circle has to be uh, violated simply because mother and father is inside of that home. Also, you should try your best to develop a timeline of how long they're going to be there. Not so much that you're trying to just get them out, but you know, you, you do want to make it clear that you know, this is something, mom and dad, that we obviously want to be temporary until we can get a better situation for you. So what if it's common in the culture for there to be multi, it's a multi-generational home? Um, so it's a cultural issue now? <laughs> cultural tradition. Second, Corinth, uh, Second Corinthians 5.17 says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. And when you are a new creature, you have entered into a new culture. It's a superior culture called Christianity. And as a result of that culture, anything in the old culture must be subject to the new culture. So if the new culture says that there's a sacred circle in this culture wherein no one is allowed to come inside of it, then it does not matter anymore what our old culture dictates. They must abide by this new culture, considering that's the culture that governs that home. These would be the discussions that would need to take place before they move in. So therefore, there's intelligent conversations taking place between mom and dad as they're preparing to come into the house and understanding, even from a cultural standpoint, there's a superior culture now called Christianity that we live by and abide by, and we want to make sure that we can have a harmonious existence for every time period you're going to be in our home. This, this would be an intelligent conversation to have. Yeah, just to add to that, um, now, we are told inspiration from the spirit of prophecy that when our parents get old, we are the ones to take care of them, Right? So, but there's a difference. Like, um, we can, when they live with us, we can set the rules and we need to set the guidelines, what Dwayne was saying, and let them know that there's a sacred circle, you can't go past it. The problem happens, I see, is actually, and we need to set a foot down, and it's easier that way. But the problem happens when actually we move into their home because that's their home. And that's, I see, like, how can you, almost like you have a harder time setting your boundaries when it's not even your own home. And I think that's why we need to, um, when you get married, a man therefore shall man leave his father and mother, right? You leave, right? Um, you don't join, so you leave and you start your own home. And that way, when, they come, when they're older, they come and join you. That's your, that's your home, your, um, your, I guess you can set your, your, own, your priorities and your own standards and your own rules. So there's a difference, actually. So it sounds like they're living with you, so you can actually make your own rules very easily. Thank you, everyone, for your questions. I think your questions helped a lot of people tonight. Maybe this will be on Audioverse someday to help millions of people. At this time, we'll have a couple of special music and then begin testimonies. <laughs> 